want to welcome everyone once again. You've been welcomed like five times already, but welcome to Table Life Church. Uh, I'm uh, Pastor Chris. I'm the pastor here. It's great to see so many familiar faces, new faces. Those of you guys online, I can't see your face, but I know that you're there. Uh, just a special welcome. And believe it or not, I think it's quite possibly rained every single Sunday, like the last like five weeks. I don't know if anybody's keeping track, but I, I'm it's like raining every single Sunday, but we know that when it rains, the Lord rains too, right? Isn't that great? Ha, ha, ha. That's a little pun there for you this morning. Well, this week we are wrapping up our sermon series um, called Different, and uh, love it, hate it, you're sad, you're happy, whatever it is, we are wrapping up today. And we've been walking through, like I just mentioned, the book of First Peter, which is actually a letter written by the Apostle Peter, um, and he's writing this about... Uh, 30 or so, uh, 20, 30 years after Jesus' resurrection to a group of Jesus followers in the, in the ancient area of modern-day Turkey, and he's writing them to encourage them because they're undergoing lots of persecution and bad things happening, and he's emphasizing throughout this whole short little letter, really, um, he's emphasizing that followers of Jesus are called to be what? Different, yes, ding, 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 yeah, yeah, they were called to be different, we're supposed to be different, and different in, in, our, in our thoughts, our actions, really a witness to the world around us, despite what troubles may be going on, and, um, but I was thinking about this, one of the ways that you and I are probably not so different, and maybe something that we have in common, is that I'm easily distracted, anybody easily distracted, right? Um, like you do this, right? You're going to get your laundry wherever you do your laundry. And like, like on your way, you see something that's like out of place to clean. And like, okay, I'll like go and do that. And then pretty soon, like then your phone buzzes and like you check a text message. And then all of a sudden you're like moving something and then you're back in the kitchen and you're like wondering, where was I going in the first place? Anybody like find yourself like doing that kind of stuff? Um, maybe you even forget for a few hours and you're like, oh yeah, I forgot to take the laundry out. And then like you go and do that. Um, and so in fact, um, I was at a kind of routine physical at my doctor a couple years ago. And you know, they just go through all kinds of questions and they check from head to toe. And, um, and my doctor was like, you know, one of the questions was like, have you ever been tested for ADD? And I'm like, what is that shiny thing on the wall that you just put up over there? That was a joke, by the way. Um, but, but, but I was like, okay, like, like, so basically, like some of you, I can be easily distracted. You know, it's like squirrel, right? You just kind of go in that direction. Um, and the problem is, though, um, whether you suffer from serious distraction, and once again, there are those that, that do suffer um, and wrestle with ADD, ADHD, and that kind of thing. But, um, but you and I, uh, the problem that when we do get distracted, um, in whatever way, shape, or form, isn't it true that the things that you get distracted by are never as important as the thing you get distracted from? Think about that. Like, it doesn't mean that they're bad things, but they're never quite as, as important. They may be marginally important, but they're never quite as important as the thing that you were set out to do in the first place. Uh, and, and in some places of our lives, that's not really a big deal. Um, like doing laundry, for instance, like, you know, you're going to get to it eventually when you run out of the socks. But in, in other places, though, uh, it's true that sometimes, you know, you, you, 
people can wake up like five, 10 years down the road and realize, how did I get here? How did I get here? Or, or even just a question like, like, who have I become? Like, and, and it hasn't been like a one-time event, like all of a sudden you went that way or you just, but it's kind of like little thing by little thing, distraction by distraction, all of a sudden you ended up somewhere or became something that you knew you were not supposed to be. And for many of us, this is kind of like part of our faith journey too. You know, maybe, maybe that's part of your story. You know, you grew up going to church or maybe grandparents dragged you, you know, kicking and screaming or something. And, and you know, and maybe you came to faith or something. But then at some point, like, you walked away. And, and usually the walking away, like, it didn't happen. Like, you know, for some, it's like, okay, I decided I'm not going to follow anymore and bam. But isn't it usually like, oh, no, something better. There's something else to do. There's something this. There's something that. It's like, you know, a, a turn by turn, step by step kind of process, you know, that... Sometimes we let everything else decide for us the direction that we should head. And how? Because we get distracted. We get distracted. We get pulled off course. And so this is kind of how Peter wraps up his letter, uh, the letter of 1 Peter that we have. Um, and the way he wraps it up is, is really with some directions to leaders in the church at that time, but I don't think it's just for leaders. See, how one of the dominant themes in, in Peter's letter is how, like, in the midst of the, the Christians' present suffering, in the midst of their present uncertainty, that, that they are called to endure and allow God to transform it, but also not to be distracted, not to lose sight of who Jesus is and who he's calling them to be. And so he's writing this, Peter's writing this, he's wrapping it up really to emphasize to, to leaders, like I said. By the way, just a little side note here. Did you know that you are a leader in some capacity? You're a leader. You know, some are more formal leaders than not. Like we have a church leadership team or board here at Table Life Church. Um, but if you are in any way, shape, or form a boss or a manager of others, you're a leader. If you're a teacher or you teach anyone, you're a leader. If you're a coach or a captain of a group or a team, you're a leader. If you're a parent or a grandparent, you're a leader. If you're on a board or if you're on an HOA or if people look up to you in your neighborhood, you are a leader. See, and part of leading is, is basically this idea of what to keep focus on, what to focus on, and what not to be distracted by. So that we don't end up in a place or become something we don't desire to be. And I think the key in this, the key that, that Peter is going to emphasize, is that you have to decide ahead of time. You have to decide ahead of time the direction that you're going and who you're becoming. And you might remember back um, a couple of weeks ago, back in 1 Peter chapter 3. Um, we're not going to go back to that scripture, but in that, um, if you do open your Bibles and kind of check that out, you'll see that at that point, we kind of gloss over this, but Peter says, finally, and there's like two more chapters left in the scripture, you know, very typical of a preacher. You know, they signal the wrap up like, okay, and, and finally in wrapping things up or in conclusion, then they go on for another like 10 minutes, right? That's how we work here. But, um, but Peter, he, he's, very, he's very encouraging here. He goes on, he has more instructions in chapter five. And the first thing that he points out is, is not that, that we shouldn't be distracted by what we have. Don't be distracted by what you have. But he says, emphasizes this, but decide to leverage what you have. So don't be distracted 
by what you have. And this may do physical things, valuables and, and, and places and people. But it may be also things, gifts, gifts that you have. But use that. Don't be distracted by what you have. But use it, leverage it to, to serve others and to be of service to others. And he says this in the first four verses of, of 1 Peter 5. He says, To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings who are also share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds. Be shepherds of God's flock that's under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you're willing, as God wants you to be. Not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve. Not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you'll receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. Like he said, he's applying this or really focusing on the leaders in the church. But, but I think it even goes beyond that. So Peter, he, first he's recognizing here the clear leadership role of what he's calling elders. Elders. And the idea of eldership actually came from Jewish culture. If you go all the way back to Exodus chapter 3 in the Old Testament scriptures, you see kind of this, this rise of elder leadership. And, and calling someone an elder, it kind of speaks of maturity and wisdom more so than age, more so than age. It's not like Peter's saying like, okay, round up all the oldest people in this group and therefore you're gonna be the leaders. And you know, you know this, there are some very young people that have a maturity about them beyond their years. And you also know some very older people that don't, right? At the same time. And so Peter's kind of establishing that as, as this idea of elders or eldership, leaders, governance in the church. And what he first says here, First, he establishes that I'm a fellow elder. He says, he says to them, I am a fellow elder. Well, let's back up here. So Peter, Peter, he was probably one of the most prominent disciples among the 12 who followed Jesus. He was one of the inner three. And every time, this is interesting, go ahead and look at your, the gospel writings. Um, but every time that the disciples are listed in the gospels, Peter is always listed first. Every single time. So he had a priority. He's the one that Jesus like, spent a lot of time with. He was close. He was a leader. But when he writes this, he's saying he's writing as a fellow elder. He's saying shoulder to shoulder. He's not in this for recognition as the one who was closest to Jesus. Instead, he's saying, no, I am a fellow elder. Elder. He had every right, right, to say, like, okay, I'm in charge. I'm the one, the big honcho here. And it's true. I think the best leaders don't do it for position or authority or to protect anything they have. Instead, it's a priority of, of leveraging what they have for the sake of others. But of course, you know, you and I know this we get distracted. It's easy to get distracted by those things, especially when, you know, you've been working hard, like to maybe attain a position or attain a certain role, or, or you see yourself differently, or even others are telling you like, oh, you shouldn't be doing those things, right? Like, you know, now you're, you're in charge here. Um, even in the church, we can be easily distracted. You know, those of us who have maybe like, call, you know, called this church or a certain church or community like home for a while, like you say, like, I'm invested. Like, I gave so much money. Like, I, I should have a, a bigger say. Uh, and one of the, the things that I was thinking about this that really stood out was a recent movie. Um, if anybody's seen Jesus Revolution, um, 
It's a great movie, came out a couple months ago. It's a story of uh, Chuck Smith, who was kind of the founder of the Calvary Chapel movement and everything that was going on in the, in the 70s. And, and Chuck is a, he's a small town, or he's a, a small church pastor in the story, at the beginning of the story. And, um, and he's, he's radically changed, his life is changed by an interaction he has with a God-forsaken hippie. <laughs> a hippie, especially at that time, is like, what, those people? And so he develops a friendship, a relationship with this hippie guy. And because of it, all these hippies start coming to his church. Well, you would think people would be happy, but they're not. So I'm going to show you a short clip here. Drug addictions, medical issues. And they need our help. Yeah, but Chuck, <laughs> I mean, they need to go home. They're making our congregation uncomfortable. Well, maybe they should be uncomfortable. Maybe we all should. Maybe it's my job to make us uncomfortable. I haven't been doing it. Chuck, stop. This is enough. This is a house of worship. And yes, we expect a certain level of dignity here. These girls are wearing halter tops, and half of them aren't even wearing shoes. They're staining the new shag carpet with their bare feet. A carpet? Mm. Oh. Yeah, let's be sure to save the carpet. You keep this up, and you're going to drive away the only contributing members that we've got. You hearing me now? Loud and clear. What is going on? that right over there on that towel? And this other one here. Baptize these feet in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Okay. Uh, welcome to church. <laughs> Hello. Let's have that foot, please. This is terrific. Okay. Place them both on that towel and then step on into church. Welcome. Thank you. Hello, young lady. How are you? Let's have that foot. that other foot. <laughs> yeah, why don't you go sit next to that fella in the cantaloupe jacket? <laughs> Good to see you. Enjoy. Welcome to church. Distracted, right? How easily we can be distracted. And that goes for us as leaders, I think, that goes for us as church members, that goes for us as, as citizens, that goes for us in any way as neighbors. To keep focused, and, and, and I think in that story, you know, the, the story goes on, I want to encourage you to, to, see, to see it, um, but, but if you had a symbol to illustrate the role of a leader, and, and specifically uh, as Peter's negotiating here in the role of a leader in the church, um, what would it be? You know, I, I did a Google search. Um, and if you Google, you know, the, what a leader should look like, and you know, all these images pop up. But you know what Peter's answer here is that we just read? What does a leader look like? A shepherd. A shepherd. Not one of the, the people that's on top, but the people that's below. And, and the word shepherd is actually pastor and shepherd go hand in hand. Um, and, and I think part of that is that Peter remembered that time when Peter 
needed God's grace, needed Jesus's grace after he had betrayed him, that he was restored and, and Jesus called Peter to lead and to tend his sheep. And so Peter describes the role of a shepherd. It's interesting, shepherds are never thinking, how do I become the best shepherd? Instead, they're thinking, how do I best look after the sheep? It's a different direction, to serve, to lead, to, to wash feet, to get down and dirty instead of coming from on high and saying, this is what needs to happen. It, not leading from a distance, but being a part of it. And I think with that kind of attitude, right, it's, it's not to be seen or not to show off. It's not thinking, oh, nobody can do it as good as I can do it. It's, it's important because why? In verse 3, he says we need to be examples to others. We need to be examples to the flock. He says they are entrusted to you. So in whatever leadership, whether you're a leader here at Table Life Church or you're a parent or in your neighborhood, that people are entrusted to you. Kids are entrusted to you. In verse 4, when Peter says, when the chief shepherd, who's the chief shepherd, by the way? Jesus, when the chief shepherd appears, he says the faithful are the ones that were promised that crown of glory. You know, Jesus himself is that greatest leader who ever lived, right? I mean, he's God, right? Very easily, he could have used what he had to put himself up there, but instead, he used what he had to serve others. You know, leading like Jesus means looking for opportunities to do for one that you wish you could do for everyone. And those, the crowns of glory, I think it's a reminder, is that we need to be reminded that when we serve in this way, when we lead in this way, it's a reminder that the payoff is not going to be in this earth. The payoff, you have to decide ahead of time to say, I may not be congratulated. I may not receive thanks. I may even not be demoted for that. But to decide ahead of time to lead by leveraging what you have. But the second thing that he points to is another distraction, a distraction that I think we all have at some point. He says, don't be distracted by looking good, but decide, decide to be humble, decide to be humble. And he says this in verses five to seven, he says, in the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. Ooh, we're going to get back to that in a second. All of you, clothe yourselves with humility towards one another because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. He says, humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. So don't be distracted by looking good, but decide to be humble. And, and, and for us, like, we, we hear so much, if you read the Bible or you've been in church a while, you hear so much in, in, in Scripture about humility, about being humble. You know, Jesus was humble. You should be humble. Um, it's strange for us to realize that nobody, nobody during Peter's time viewed humility as a virtue. It was seen as a weakness. It was seen as a weakness. To call somebody humble was actually derogatory. It was a way of looking down and said, there was something wrong with you if you were humble. So Jesus, though, Jesus changed things. He modeled and announced God's kingdom and, and, and he showed how the normal worldly way of doing things is to show off, to try to look good, to look perfect to everyone, to look strong, but underneath, to recognize you underneath that strength might actually be very unhealthy. 
I mean, it, you think about that on social media, right? Like, um, did you know, did you know this? Uh, the word selfie, the word selfie that we often throw around a lot today, the word selfie was not actually a real word in the dictionary until 2002. That was its first appearance. And, and, and you know, selfies, there's actually been studies that have done with revealing that there's a correlation uh, for men, there's a correlation between number of selfies that are posted but, and that narcissism. It's interesting. And it's different, though, for women. The number of selfies that someone posts for women uh, often indicates an OCD or perfectionism or wrestling with low self-esteem. That there's something inside of us that it's not good for us. But it's easy to do because everybody else is doing it. Everybody else looks good and, you know, they're going on the nice vacation and, oh, she looks wonderful. She's been working out and all this, you know, it's easy to do. But, but he's saying here, that's why you have to decide on humility. Instead of being drawn or be distracted to decide on humility. And how? Well, he mentions this. He says, first, the first thing is to submit yourself to others. Ooh, ugh. I don't like to do that. He mentions younger people, but I don't think he's just pointing out to the younger ones. Submit yourself to others. Not to think less of yourself, but to think of yourself less. Uh, and, and, and think about this. Like the person who hates themselves, they're actually very self-centered in a way. But, but that's why Christians so need to be a part of a church. You know, it, it said like the Bible knows nothing of solitary Christianity. Always in community. Like we need, you know, it's that iron sharpens iron. We need one another. And that's where we learn from one another and grow with one another. The person with humility finds that they have nothing to prove, nothing to possess, nothing to protect in that way. And Peter even quotes Proverbs 3, verse 34, when, he, when there's those quotations. God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. God resists the proud. He gives grace to the humble. And it's our choice about who we want to be. But are you willing to submit to others, others who love you, care about you, are in relationship with you, aren't going to think anything different of you? Are you willing to be open and to learn and to grow and to be humbled? But the second thing he mentions in the scripture we just read is another way is that we are willing to do the lowest and the littlest things for Jesus' sake. The lowest and the littlest things. Uh, we, we need to serve God with a very conscious sense of our reliance. You know, are, are you willing to take out the trash? <laughs> You know, are you willing to wash dirty feet? Are you willing to spend time even if nobody sees it or nobody acknowledges it and nobody even says thank you time after time? It's the, the lowest and the littlest things for Jesus' sake. But then he goes on, the, the third piece here is to realize also that the world does not depend on or revolve around you. We all say that part together. I, I struggle with this. I would guess many of you. Ready? Let's just say that last part. Realize the world does not depend on you. Does not depend on me. Does not depend on you. It doesn't depend on you. And that's where he says in verse 7, that's why it's important as part of that humility to cast all anxiety on him. In other translations, that's all your cares on him. The cares are cast on God, you know, that you feel lighter. It doesn't all depend on you. You know, I, I tell people, like, even when you're in relationship with someone and say you've been praying for them and you want them to come to faith in Jesus, or whatever, nobody saves anybody. That's God's work to do. We make ourselves available. We make ourselves as tools, as, as, as people that are in relationship. But that's where our call to be humble, you know, it may look weak. 
Which is why Peter gives an invitation to throw our cares on God. It doesn't mean we just sit back and we, you know, whittle our thumbs and sit on the couch and do nothing, but that we cast our cares. Because when everything's heavy, it weighs us down. And the word cast, by the way, is an energetic word. It's an emotion word. You notice that Peter didn't say, lay your cares on him. To cast is to actively throw it away. There's an action that's involved. It takes great concentration and effort to put it on Jesus. Or else, you know, if, I don't know if you're, if you're maybe not good in sports, like you miss, right? You throw your cares and what happens? They boomerang back and they come back even heavier. <laughs> but that's, that, that's the thing. It's to recognize the world does not depend on me. And guess what? I can rely on Jesus. And those of us that are serving and active, involved in serving others and serving the church, you know, it, it's important to cast our cares, anxieties on Jesus. Um, Charles Spurgeon who's a theologian, he relates it like this. He says, imagine this, that someone comes over your house to help you move furniture, the sofa, the fridge, but the person enters the door with a heavy backpack of 45 pounds. And you see that they're struggling to help you lift the fridge. They're suffering, they're not able to help you move the sofa. What would you say to them? Why don't you take the backpack off first? And that's what we do. We think, you know, we can't do God's work if we hold on to all of our stuff. We've got to deal with that. And, and so God may also, in that process, he may prioritize some of the things that aren't really burdens. I don't know if he's ever done that to you. That's something you've been struggling with or really like spending hours and hours like venting about in your mind. Like maybe they're not really supposed to be burdens for you. You know, that you want to be rich, or you want to be liked, you want to be popular, you want to look perfect. Isn't it amazing that God sometimes changes our priorities and our perspective on those things? But it involves casting our cares, casting our worries, casting our anxieties on him. Because the end of verse 7, what does it end with? For he cares for you. He cares for you. He wants to help you carry it, but you got to let him do it. You know, imagine, uh, even at this time, in Peter's time, uh, the pagans, they could not imagine a God who cared. For them, the gods were, you know, these gods in the skies, you, you know, you study this Greek mythology and Zeus with his, his lightning bolt that's coming down. They could not imagine a God who cared for them. And Peter's saying, you have a God who cares for you. Let him take some of your burdens. Let him lift them, cast those burdens on him. But then Peter wraps this up. He says, don't, and I'm not being the Peter thing, by the way. It's not like we're going on, for, going on forever here. But he says this. He says, don't be distracted by your circumstances, but decide to stand firm in the faith. For some of us, that's the thing to cast on him. Distracted by our circumstances, but decide to stand firm in the faith. And he continues, verses 8 to 11. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same sufferings as you. You're not alone. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you've suffered a little while, will restore himself restore you and make you strong, firm and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. Have you ever been distracted by your circumstances? 
You entered in a meeting or talking to somebody and you weren't even really there with that person. You know, life can feel like at times things are swirling around. You know, I kind of liken it to spiritual vertigo. You ever had vertigo? You know how bad that is. You could know, barely stand up and you're going to fall over, you're going to throw up or do whatever. And, and what's one of the ways to deal with vertigo? You know, you can watch these things on YouTube, talk to your doctor, is that vertigo is actually caused by little rocks that are in your ears, in the inner ear, and they kind of get out of whack, which causes you to have imbalance. So what you got to do is the doctors tell you, YouTube tells you, you got to retrain the rocks. You got to spend time retraining and moving and allowing those rocks to be retrained. And that's what Peter's saying here. It's sometimes you're going to have spiritual vertigo going on. You're going to be swirling. Life's going to be everywhere. But retrain the rocks. Retrain the rocks. And at the time, the persecution that these people were enduring was both unofficial from friends, from neighbors, from street people, but it was also official. It was sanctioned, sanctioned violence. We talked about the, the um, Emperor Nero was literally putting people to death over being Christ, uh, following Jesus. And, but Peter, though, recognized that it was very easy for these Christians, very easy for these Christians to demonize their visible human opponents as the source of their problems. These people, whether sanctioned or unsanctioned, it would have been easy for them to demonize those people, but Peter's redirecting them to the real opponent, to evil, to the devil himself. To say, and he uses the image here of a roaring lion, swallowing up, being devoured. And sometimes, you know, people look at that like, oh, you got to run away from the lion, you got to resist the lion. Well, what does that actually mean? I think he's really talking about the things that engulf us, the things that paralyze us, the things, the hate that takes us over and consumes us. You know, you've had that before. Somebody said something, you couldn't stop thinking about it for the rest of the day. You mulled over what the next great comment to say and to get back was. That's the lion devouring you. That's the lion taking over. And so we can be distracted by the lion. We can be distracted by the evil one. And, and isn't it true, like, once you see a lion, don't you begin to see the lion everywhere? It's like, there's a lion, there's a lion there. And you become, like, like just, just crazy about it, right? And so it's important to, to keep that focus. And I'm sure that these Christians at that time started to doubt, started to ask, why is this happening? Otherwise, why would these bad things be happening to them? Peter, he's reassuring them that it is all right. And what does he say? Resist it. Don't be drawn into it. Don't allow yourself to be devoured. Be reminded, too, that you're not alone. You're not alone in your suffering or your need. You have brothers and sisters around the world who have encountered many of the same things that we have to trust in God's power and his promise. That's where the decision comes, to focus on that, to hold on to Jesus as our anchor, as the true Messiah, and believing and trusting that one day, one day he will be revealed as such to the entire world. And, and so Peter wraps up his letter with these words of encouragement. He says this, kind of the end of letters, we kind of see a flicker of the actual circumstances that took place. And he says this, he says, with the help of Silas, whom I regard as a faithful brother, I've written to you briefly, encouraging you and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand fast in it. She who is in Babylon, chosen together with you, he's talking about the church there, sends you her greetings and so does my son Mark. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. 
We don't know who Silas Silvanus was. He was probably one of the people that traveled with Peter at the time. Uh, she who was in Babylon, Babylon, by the way, was a, is a code name for Rome, for the Roman Empire, and most likely the church in Rome that Peter was writing from or associated with. But the highlight, I think, of Peter's ending to the letter is in verse 14. He ends with a note of something that we all need, and that is peace. Peace. Peter's reminding them and he's reminding us that we're called to be different, not distracted. Called to be different. And it doesn't just happen. To recognize that God is at work all around us. God is offering us help all the time. But we have to decide ahead of time to be different. Or what's going on around us will wind up deciding for you. So will you decide? Will you decide to allow God to work in your life, to maybe steer you course correction, to allow you to be different. Maybe not what everybody expects a teenager or a young adult or a divorced person or a parent or a dating couple or a lonely spouse or a leader or a boss or an employee to do what everyone else expects. Maybe you're called to be different. Will that be you? I mean, imagine, imagine for a second, what would it be like for others to look at our church, to look at Table Life Church, and to say, that church is different. Like, I've experienced this. You know, I experienced some of those people that, that Chuck encountered in his church. I experienced all those things going on in my past. But that church is different. They're not like what I've had before. They practice what they preach. They're different in their attitudes and their posture and their love. So as we wrap up this message, we wrap up this series, I'm going to take a moment to pause as we go to the table today and just to reflect, to close your eyes, and to ask yourself what focus in your life needs to be different. But not just what focus needs to be different. How can God help you? How can God help you? Not just what needs to be different, but what help do you need to ask for? Maybe part of it is that casting is your burdens on him. Maybe it is a burden that you've been carrying too long or too much. Maybe it is resisting the evil one. Maybe it is being resisting being drawn into things. Maybe it is even as a leader as a parent, as a teacher, as a student, as a church member, as a Christian, maybe even as a skeptic or someone that's unsure of faith or where you are with God. How is God calling you to be different, to trust, to go to him in your time of need?